Hello everybody and welcome to the fourth edition of the Teach Podcast. Yes, I'm your host Connor Luke Simpson, back to you again with a great episode. We've got some really, uh, something really special ahead of us today. We've got an interview and a conversation with um, director of a documentary film, uh, a documentary horror film called Haunters Art of the Scare. We're going to be speaking to John Schnitzer a little bit later in the show. Um, it's it's an interview, here's, here's behind the scenes of the podcast and how it works. It's an interview I shot yesterday and it's a fantastic conversation and we talk about documentary filmmaking, horror, Halloween, um, what films to be looking out for and also the documentary itself and uh, sort of the characters um, that are involved in his, uh, in, in his film. Like I said, it's a really, really enjoyable documentary and I sort of, I watched it and I really enjoyed it and I said to him, I just reached out to him, I didn't know if he would uh, be interested in coming and speaking, but because I love the documentary so much, I reached out to him and I said, you know what, do you want to come on? And he said, yeah, you know what, I I will do that and I will have a conversation with you and it it went really well. So um, if you're just here to um, check that out, do feel free to skip forward because the only other bit of news um, that I want to talk about in this episode uh, before we get to the interview is Joker like I promised you last week but before we speak about Joker I do want to thank our sponsors Audible, Honey and Fatopia some say it's the greatest film of all time the person that says that is me every single week I'm trying to get you to buy it that's my film Fatopia go check it out like I said last week, I wanted to really get into the Joker conversation. You know, I've been on tirades every week, sort of um, getting into these rants, talking about what's been going on with the Joker situation. And now I have finally seen the film. Isn't that an idea? Talking about a film after you've seen it instead of speculating and uh, not speculating, speculation's fun, but um, giving your review and your opinions on a film that you haven't even seen yet. Well, that continues after the Joker, but we'll get into that in a minute. So, if you haven't seen the Joker, I'm afraid this is going to be a spoiler review because I need to get into things. Um, I, I want to talk about the filmmaking, I want to talk about the story, and also I want to talk about the controversy because, like I said, the controversy was a huge part, and I think a huge part of why this film was doing so well. If you don't know, it was number one at the box over uh, box office. It overprojected. It did better than it was projected to do, and. Uh, reports are saying that it also looks like it's going to stay on and hold the box office crown this week, so, for, so, so two weeks at number uh, number one for a um, an R-rated film in America and a 15-rated film here in the UK. I think it's an R in America, right? I'm right in saying that? But it's definitely a 15 here in the UK. So, The Joker. I was excited for it. Many of you know I was excited for it, but did it live up to my expectations? Well, I tell you what, it bloody did. I love this film. In fact, I walked out of the cinema the first time. I've seen it twice already. I want to go a third time. I walked out of the cinema saying uh, to James, you know James Hayes, good friend of the show, Bonsai, where is Bonsai? Hashtag, where is Bonsai? I said to James, I want to go see it with him. I walked out and I said, you know what? I think that's one of my favourite films of all time. He was slightly shocked by re- by that reaction, but I went again and it really is. I think it's up there. It's just a masterfully created film. It's a character piece, but beyond that, I'm talking about just the cinema and the filmmaking aspects of it. I mean, the score is sensational. I'm talking about um, and not just the soundtrack, but the score. I'm talking about what they do and the, the, the sort of which I think is lacking a lot of films now. You think of like uh, Star Wars, and you have like Leia's theme and Yoda's theme and Darth Vader's theme. Or Superman's theme and the Superman films and the Avengers. It only really does it when the group's together. You have that dun 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 dun. 
I'm sorry for any headphone users if that was a bit uncomfortable for you, but films are sort of lacking that, um, that those themes that you can recognise, and this film really it has that score where you think of the Joker and every time he's on screen the, the sort of score kicks in and you know it's doing something really sinister. Uh, I'm not always someone who is... Um, I don't always notice the score a lot on first viewings. It's sort of maybe a, a couple of after, a couple of times after I watch it. But this one was really, it was at the forefront, and it was really uh, scores always do this bit. It was pushing the narrative forward, and then the music was really working to help the sort of uh, the film. Um, of course, like people say, well, that's what scores are there to do. Of course, but it, this is uh, when a score does it right. And it, it's being effective, it's not taken away, and it's really adding to the character. You know, even sometimes when you think he's doing something, uh, Arthur Fleck, that's um, not so bad, or he's doing something, he, he, it's a bit morally ambiguous, I guess the word you would say, that score's still there, that haunting score, and it it makes you think, or, you know, it's, it still makes you think creepy, and, you know, you can, you know the Joker's still in there somewhere, or sort of the origins of the Joker are coming. Um, I mean, the soundtrack are two, I'm talking about the music they include, um, I'm afraid, uh, I enjoyed, I don't enjoy Gary Glitter, let's get that out of the way, but I do enjoy the use of the, the song in the way it was used, and so many other, the Frank, uh, Frank Sinatra's, um, really great music choices. Of course, I mentioned that Gary Glitter thing because, you know, an article popped up th uh, this week in which people were saying, you know, Gary Glitter's going to be paid money for this film. I don't know. Um, I'm not... I didn't really fo follow the story fully, but there, I saw some people saying, well, you know what? Uh, he's in prison, and he's probably going to be in prison for life, uh, so he's probably not going to get the money. So if there's any, I don't know if he's more of a UK thing. Is it, if there's any like international US viewers watching this, Gary Glitter is actually a convicted um, paedophile, and uh, he was a, a, a rock star, pop star uh, back in uh, was it seventies, eighties? I don't know. I'm a bit too young for it. But uh, he he's convicted. He's in prison, and uh, they use one of his songs in the film. And people and the news outlet CNN was saying, you know. They ran with a story. I guess somebody, one of their employees probably saw it and was like, ah, that's how we're going to get Joker. Because CNN have been non-stop with the Joker hate. I can't believe it. What I really liked um, about this film, I mean, we could talk about uh, Joaquin Phoenix's absolutely, I mean, arguably, it's hard to say because he's good in everything. This could be a career best performance, you know. I think a lot of us thought um, nothing's ever going to match Heath, Le Heath Ledger or outdo Heath Ledger. Now, I'm not entirely ready to say that uh, Joaquin uh, outdid Heath Ledger, but he offered a performance that was on the same level, and it didn't. It wasn't a Jared Leto performance. I'm sorry, Jared Leto. I really like your work. I think you're great, but I, I don't always think it's Jared Leto's fault for the Suicide Squad Joker. But um, this was on par with Heath Ledger, and it's it's crazy that I never thought I'd say that because I was such a big Heath Ledger fan. I'm still a big Heath Ledger Joker fan, but to actually have a performer come and put something on that level and now we've got these two amazing jokers in cinema i mean who would have thought the joker would have been sort of this character that would allow actors to have such great um sort of like cinematic uh exploration and to be able to give these amazing uh, award academy award 
winning performances. I mean, I say that because Joaquin Phoenix needs to be nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards, and if he doesn't, it's um, I think people are going to be rightly pissed, and the Academy is going to get the whole um, people pushing back and saying, look at this lefty organisation, the, uh, the SJWs who don't want to acknowledge the film because of all the controversy, which would be a real shame because Joaquin Phoenix is absolutely fantastic in this film. It's just captivating, and the whole film is just him on screen. Um, I remember someone on the podcast couple of months ago saying that they've read the script for the Joker and it's a lot of Joaquin Phoenix just looking in mirrors and he, he didn't really see the appeal when he read the script um but if you're gonna look at somebody if you're gonna want as an audience member if you want to see anybody just looking in mirrors and just doing um I guess mundane tasks it's Joaquin Phoenix because he's going to make that the most exciting and captivating piece of cinema you've ever seen so I mean he carries this film. I mean, he doesn't carry the film because everything about this film is so good. I mean, even something like simple as the title sequence. And I looked at how Todd Phillips developed that and he had to use the animation stand and he wanted to make the titles bleed and that give it that old sort of seven, uh, late 70s, 80s feel of filmmaking, uh, sort of uh, thinking about Taxi Driver and obviously the inspirations from there and those all sort of uh, New York, New Jersey films, gangster films and... Some of it as simple as the title sequence, which was captivating. Um, now, of course, we have to talk about the story itself, which is... Now we start getting into territory, because the idea of the story is the stuff that the controversy was surrounded about. So we we follow this character, Arthur Fleck, who, you know, he's... He, he, we come to understand he has mental health conditions, mental illnesses, and he also um, he's he's a bit down on his luck. He's living with his mother. He's um, he's a clown. You know, he's probably not making great money, and the money that he does make, he has to go towards the apartment and towards his. I guess she seems like a an ill woman herself, and he he's putting all the money into that. You know, he's he's not the. Uh, the Thomas Wayne, the Bruce Wayne, the rich sort of character of the story. He's an everyday Joe, but also dealing with uh, hard circumstances. And we follow this character where society is continually... Um, they're not helping him. I like, one of the things I liked about this film, if you notice, is that nobody... People acknowledge his illness, but nobody ever takes the time to actually speak to him about it. There's a really good scene, for those of you who have seen the film, and I hope you have, because I'm talking about spoilers now, when he's in Arkham Asylum and he's looking for his mother's um, records, and he, he speaks to the uh, the guy in there, and um, he says about, like, oh, I've done some crazy stuff, and you know what? I don't even feel bad about it. And the guy in there says, you know, we've got there's people to speak to that, uh, speak about that man. You should really go and speak to somebody. I thought that was an important moment because it acknowledges, you know, people sort of say, oh, we should speak to each other about these things. We should speak to each other about um, mental health and mental illness. But it's very well saying, oh, okay, you should speak to someone. You should speak to someone. But no one's actually volunteering to actually listen to someone. And that was sort of one of the moments I thought that was really tra tragic because, you know, it was sort of society that was letting um, Arthur Fleck uh, slip through the cracks and then become this um, horrible figure 
which we couldn't uh, sympathise with any longer. Now that was one of the most sort of compelling points of this film was I guess sort of um, where does the line draw between I, I, because a lot of people are seeing this sort of a, as a metaphor, the Joker as a metaphor for this white supremacist, this incel culture where these people will go out and just with go out and do these mass shootings and and the idea is that sort of if you sympathize with this character then you're um you're sympathizing with that ideology and then maybe it says something about your po politics or your um personal beliefs if you sympathize or like this film now what i saw from it when i was watching it and it is a political film it, it raises ideas and it raises social ideas and all this sort of stuff and I, I think that's a mark of a good film that we walk out start questioning this i remember when i was watching the film there was points where I still sympathised with Arthur Fleck, even though he's doing bad things. Of course, we we can uh, we can say, you know, if someone did that in real life, I probably wouldn't sympathise with them. But through the narrative of cinema and sort of the way things are constructed and shown to us, there I can sympathise. And the moment where I, I was still sympathising, although Arthur Fleck and Joker were doing bad things, was especially the train scene. And there's a great YouTuber, Grace Randolph, who I'm sure a lot of movie people know of. She said something. So let me break down that scene for you. Um, on the train, there are this, uh, there's a woman and Joker and uh, Arthur Fleck. And he's sitting towards the back of the train. She's towards the front, just reading. Then these three guys uh, come on in suits. You know, they look like they've been drinking. And they start harassing the woman a little bit. <clears throat> he's got that mental condition who, where he laughs, a mental illness where he laughs, even though, you know, his scenario might not be right and he, he can't really control it. They look over to him and a fight breaks out and he uh, he's getting his ass kicked and in a pretty bad way. Um, eventually, he pulls out a gun that he, uh, he was given earlier in the film and he shoots the two... Um, Two of the employees, which we later find are employees of uh, Thomas Wayne and the Wayne Enterprise. Now, at the worst there, <laughs> he was potentially going to get killed. Or that woman, as Grace Randolph says, was going to get sexually abused. A sexual, a sexual assault could have happened. So he, him shooting is, worst case scenario, self-defence, but stopping a sexual assault. Now, I still sympathise with the Joker and people say, wait a minute, wait, that's violent, you know, there's uncalled for shootings and all this sort of stuff. I still sympathise with the character then because I, I felt, you know, I don't like shooting, I don't particularly like guns, but he he was acting in self-defence for a large part. Um, but that, that scene was really well constructed as well because the two he had to shoot off immediately in the train to get him away from him and that other guy ran away and he didn't spare his life. He went after him. And I love that scene where it's like... Poof, and he just walks towards him. Still holding the gun straight. Poof, poof. Um, he doesn't He doesn't spare his life. He he um, he, he, he kills him. Um, I guess people would say... Because he doesn't want people telling him who did it. Uh, but I guess they wouldn't really know under the clown, clown makeup. But um, that was sort of a moral dilemma there as well where he he, he the two those two were definitely self-defense but the other one was he, he wasn't going to be causing any more trouble other than um telling the authorities who he was so that was already started coming a little bit complicated emotionally as an audience member 
But um, I was still on the side of Arthur Fleck. And then, of course, he runs away. And perhaps the best scene of the movie, which I liked even more the second time I really... that I walked away thinking that was probably my favourite scene, was the scene in the bathroom where he does this beautiful expression through dance of uh, kind of... I kind of saw it as him having control and power for the first time. And he starts to get a taste for that power. And he sort of expresses himself and he's able to express himself freely for the first time. And he does uh, does that through dance. And it's just a, a haunting scene. It's, it's, it's beautifully done. And I, I, like, I like that expression that dance is perhaps the greatest form of art because you're telling uh, sort of ideas through um, movement um, and people that understand dance. Now, I don't really understand dance, but I, I could feel it in that moment. And... Uh, I thought that was so well done artistically, the way the camera just shot up and you just see the side of Joker's face and uh, that was that was a fantastic scene. I, I ramble because there's so much to talk about this, uh, about this film. I'm talking about sort of the politics, but the filmmaking at the same time, it's hard to sort of stick to one path, but you get the idea of how much I'm talking about and how much I love this film. Um, where did it start getting a bit morally confusing for the Joker? Um, I think we can probably say, you know, he goes on a huge, huge, huge killing spree and it sort of comes to the point where, you know, I felt sad and I could understand the idea that nobody had stepped in. Like I said before, nobody had, everyone said speak to someone else, uh, go to the, you know, but there was no actually, uh, nobody in society that was willing to actually talk and uh, help or speak or uh, offer some advice or guidance or just friendship and bond to Arthur Fleck, which was really sad. You know, you saw that woman on the train when he was trying to be funny with the kid and she said, stop, He got the car, she got the card and even still then, there was no apology. There was no sort of um, acknowledgement. She, she looked a bit, you know, this weirdo. And, you know, you could sort of see if someone's trampled and trampled and trampled upon um, where it will lead them. I said in my letterbox review for this, of course, letterbox, great for moviegoers and movie fans. Um, this is, I, I like this idea that I said, um, oh, to toot my own horn, why don't I? Um, it's a story with no heroes and no one to root for, which makes Joker uncomfortably relevant and desperately poignant. Which is sort of, I think, what my idea was when I left the film, what I thought the film was trying to say. You know, there are no heroes. Uh, Arthur Fleck isn't a hero. We're not meant to root for him, especially by the end. We're not going, yeah, car Joker. Maybe some of you are, but we're thinking, this is a tragedy, you know. Joker and Arthur Fleck says to Murray, you know, how many times, you know, I realise my life is a comedy. It's not a comedy. He His his idea of society and the world has been so warped that, you know, he thinks it's a comedy, but we as the audience have sort of the power to know, you know, this is a tragedy. We've seen where you... you <laughs> where you came from um, we, we followed you through this story and we saw you know you weren't a bad guy but you know if, if enough sort of things happen to tick you to that point and then maybe you do become a bad person and I think that's sort of the tragedy of this film and I think maybe why people finding it hard to get on board with because we don't want to just accept that you know, these people that commit these mass shootings, we want to think of them as just villains and sort of um, there's the, the no good there and evil. And of course they are pure evil to, to carry out something like that. But what are these people like before? And if, if there was more sort of guidance and acceptance and 
uh, from society to people would we sort of uh, perhaps um would would these tragedies stop happening and would we not have to worry about like teaching kids in school to prepare for armed attacks or worry when we go to the premiere of the joker that there might be a, a shooting you know it's so sad that it's come to this point but um i'm, I'm so happy you know touch wood so far that we've had no attack and, and uh, I'm glad because I kind of feel like I want to say well done society for thanks for not giving in to all this media bullshit that they keep pushing and pushing you know the articles you've seen I'm sure you've probably seen and they keep saying oh someone's been arrested for causing a causing a scene where they apparently they smoked in the fear and I think there was another one who uh, cheered at the end and people got scared and you know why are these stories stop trying to push the narrative for for that you what you want a shooting you want something to happen let's be honest you want to create fear and chaos just like the joker you're not any better than these people and I wish Todd Phillips would have said that you know I didn't particularly like his response with his like woke culture and stuff because I didn't think it came off that well and there's since been comedians that have come out and said and I agree with them you know if you're afraid of doing comedy maybe you're not doing it well because you know there's so many um uh, comedians still doing comedy today and they're brilliant at it but of course there is the idea you know pc culture and people are offended by more things nowadays i understand that but um i didn't particularly like Tob's, Tob, todd phillips response uh, but i love him i really love him um i think if he said you know what this 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 film is about um to the media like People like you, you you're, want to create this fear and chaos and you're reveling in it because you're creating fear and chaos for people out of nothing. There hasn't been anything. And I'm so glad that so far, and I hope it stays this way, that society hasn't, um, hasn't acted uh, stupidly and wickedly just to give the media what they want. And, and because, you know, the, joke, uh, the, the, the media would have slapped the, face, slapped the face of the killer over all their... Um, um, news and it would have been uh, they would have become an imp infamous figure that uh, that shooter whoever it was and you know he would have got exactly what he wanted and the media probably would have as well and they could have said there you go we were right about this film and we wouldn't have heard the end of it i cannot believe we're still having this conversation about movies and video games still to this day about um sort of the effects that they cause real wild violence whereas in joker the exact story is um like I said, as well in my letterbox review, if you leave the theatre thinking Joker glamorises and encourages real-world violence, then you missed the message of Joker. This is what the media are trying to push, that this film glorifies and glamorises real-world violence and encourages it. Um, and if you truly leave the film thinking that that is the case and that is what this film is about, you have missed the message. The message of this film is, let's all be kinder to one another. <laughs> it, it, it sounds stupid, but I, I think that is sort of a deep underlying root to this film. If we were all a little bit kinder and not just say we should talk about mental health more, but actually do it. Let's look at someone who looks a bit down on their luck today instead of these people on Twitter. Like I saw, I saw a, a tweet which I was like, "You completely, you you're completely doing what this uh, this film tells you do." Um, see if I can find it. Sorry. Um, t -t 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 
ah, I'm being awesome. So here we go. This tweet. So many do. So basically, a bad uh, someone gave a bad review, a Joker, and then people commenting while saying, "Well, I really like the film," and uh, and there was a spat starting. And then somebody on the side of people that didn't like the Joker film said, "So many dudes below who need to call their mums." Already, sort of having that idea that you know you live with your mum, which is um, already sort of what Joker says. You know, people frown upon him for that. Um, and then the response to that tweet was cool. They just got a yell through the floor. So they're already trying to establish this idea and carry on with this sort of prodding and uh, negativity in the same way that the Joker film shows that people do. You know, you're exactly the sort of people that this film is about. And that's what is making it uncomfortable. You do not like that, do you? You don't like that this film is about you and has uh, shown the, uh, just the tragedy and the fact that our society isn't willing to talk anymore and is unwilling to help one another. But I mean, I, I saw hundreds of these tweets this week. I, I was going through, like, I, I understand if you don't like the film and talk about what you don't like about it. Was it the filmmaking aspects? Did you not like the story? Did somehow you didn't think Joaquin Phoenix gave a good performance? I saw somebody said that, like, like one of the weakest performances I've ever seen in my life. I was like, what the hell? But I mean, it's subjective. I understand if you could tell me what you didn't like about the performance. Instead of saying things like this, there was another tweet I came through. Everything about this screams toxicity. Well, I don't even know what that means. He's a villain, isn't it? Isn't he meant to be like, sort of toxic in a way? We have to still remember the uh, the um, the villain and the comic book origins of this story at the same point. And um, what does that mean? You haven't explained it anymore. He it's toxicity, but I don't know what that means. You can't just throw these things out here and then just not explain it. And then when people say, "Well, that's stupid," well, you, you say, "Well, you're a white male," and you would support this film, wouldn't you? And this, it's it's just like, come on, at least tell me why you don't like it instead of just throwing out stuff like this. There's like, there's one woman who said, um, a check mark may I add. And I'm not saying anything bad about check marks, but she's a check mark um, on Twitter. I went into Joker with an open mind. I knew nothing, a blank slate, and I can confidently say it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So uh, a little bit further down the comment section, I'm confused. They hate your opinion because you're verified on Twitter. Is that the new thing? And then someone replies, and a woman, I think. No, it's nothing to do with that you're a woman. It's the idea that these critics and the people with the check marks think they have these superior views, and Joker talks about that too. And uh, you say stuff without it, without explaining stuff. And then when people try to hit back and say, you know, well, 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 why, why didn't you like the film? This is the reason why I like the film. It's not because you're a woman. It's because we want to actually know if you... If you structured your ideas properly, then we wouldn't be having these conversations. We wouldn't be having these arguments. And if you weren't just throwing out stuff that white, it's a, like I saw stuff about this is just a white male's fantasy. It's it's gonna breed incels and it's um, it's toxic and all this stuff. If you stop throwing stuff like that out, if we actually sit down and talk like this film was telling us to, and not just poking at people, poking at people, and poking at people, then you know what. Maybe we would have a few less Jokers running around in the world. But that's my opinion on Joker anyway, guys. I'm probably going to get in and talk about this again sometime um, because I love this film. I'm going to probably hopefully go to see it a third time um, if that's all right with you guys. But until then, we've got a very special guest coming up right after this commercial break.
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to take just a minute out of your time to talk about one of our sponsors. And actually, it's me. Yes, Fatopia, the documentary, that is the sponsor we're talking about. Follow me on my journey through the fat acceptance movement, interviewing individuals, finding out whether their cause is legitimate, whether it's uh, moral. You can also go to our website, www.fattopia.com watch, and you can rent or purchase the film. Yes, you can rent or purchase the film at www.fattopia.com watch. Please help support the Teach podcast by watching Fattopia, viewing Fattopia, whatever way you find fit. If you're an international viewer, you go to our website. If you're in the UK or the US, you can watch Fattopia for free if you have an Amazon Prime subscription. What are you waiting for? Go and find out more about the fat acceptance movement. Perhaps you don't know about it at all. Perhaps you know a lot. Go challenge your beliefs. Go find out about fat phobia. Go find out about thin privilege. Go find out about this movement. I love this film because I made it. I'm trying to sell it to you. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the top, top 10 films of the year, no doubt. Um, but uh, don't take my opinion for it. Go watch it yourself. I wanted to maybe start off by asking you about, um, I, obviously I follow you on social media now and I've been looking at your Instagram account and I've seen as Halloween's been coming up, um, you've been going around to the different haunts and the scare attractions. So um, what what's Horror Nights been like and what are some of the uh, really good sort of mazes and that that people need to look out for this year? Oh, I mean at um, Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, um, look... Universal is always so much fun just because you get to go inside your favorite movies. You know, it's it's incredible. Like they have a Ghostbusters maze and it's not even that it's trying to be scary. It's that you get the same feeling that you get when you watch Ghostbusters. It's really funny and really fun. I mean, Slimer and I don't know. I just I was laughing. I was cheering. And at the end, we my whole group, we were all dancing as we were leaving. I'm like, OK, <laughs> that's not the normal haunted house, but it made yeah. me feel so good. And Killer Clowns from Outer Space was like exactly what you want. It's funny. It was scary. It was weird. It was it was the movie. It was great. I mean, and they had an they had some original mazes this year. Um, one of them was um, Holidays in Hell. And that used to be last year. That was a, a scare zone where they had just different, like an evil Easter bunny and evil Santa Claus. But in the maze, you go through all the different seasons. They make them scary, but the set design was so out of control. Brilliant that they made new Year's scary that 4th of July were all firework victims. <laughs> people with you know, children missing their fingers. The Easter bunnies attacking children. The uh, I will, you know, give you one warning about Horror Nights this year is that you may get wet. <laughs> a lot of the <laughs> things that are leaping out at you are spraying water. So, you know, be careful when you scream with your mouth open. Don't don't be too wide open. <laughs> and and the Us Maze was really completely unusual because it was so much like the movie and they oh, got the wow. choreographer from the movie to do the choreog like teach the actors in the wow. maze the choreography yeah that's so, one of, being one of my f favorite films this year actually us so i mean that sounds great well, look if you love us then that maze is exactly for you i mean it's it opens with the mirror maze from the beginning of the movie and it wow. takes you all the way through all of the major turning point scenes of the movie. And 
it's done it was like more like um it felt more like modern art um than a normal haunt and it was very cool and all the dancing and the choreography that was done in that maze was um was really trippy and it was all very much in the dark it was very how, dimly how, lit how do the actors look are they based like off the actors in the film are they yes yeah no it's a yeah. lot of african a lot of african-american actors a lot of it was it was wonderful it was like it was like us. I mean, that thing about with Universal is that they are so faithful to the movies and shows they recreate um, that you're going through that your favorite movies and TV shows. So it's it's so much fun. I don't know. I, I if you if you're gonna go, you have to get the frontline pass. If you don't get the frontline pass, come on. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna wait for like two or three hours for something. You know, I don't care what you're waiting for for two or three hours. Is it going to be worth it after two or three hours? I don't care what it is. <laughs> you know, like uh, if you're at the front line pass, then you're not going to be waiting the long lines. And it's a lot more fun. Plus, um, pay attention when you're getting the ticket online because you get the front line pass with early access. Then you can get there like around three or four and Harry Potter is still open. You can go on the rides at Harry Potter and Jurassic World and Transformers. You can go on all the rides and then still have plenty of time to get to be first in line for a maze. Just quickly on the Jurassic World, I know they opened a new ride. Did you get the chance to try that? Yeah, I did the I did Jurassic World. I had early access. I'm doing oh, basically wow. I'm telling you everything that I actually do. This is what I do too because I'm a I'm a huge Hunt fan. So yeah, we got early access. We um did Jurassic World and I heard that you that you get really wet on that ride so I brought like a bunch of garbage bags from home <laughs> and I made my own like poncho and it it helped but oh my god you get so wet on that ride uh, but it's so much fun I mean look they it's very similar to the old ride mm-hmm. um, they got rid of a couple things that I loved from the old ride so I was very sad to see them go but they added something new that I was like, okay, that's awesome. I was totally impressed. <laughs> there was a, right. the, the and you know they by adding the additions. What do they have? Like they have the updated animatronic dinosaurs that are great. So it was fun. It was crazy. But you're gonna get wet. I, that's Universal's big theme this year. Is you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're gonna you're gonna get sprayed here and there you know, hayride that you're on, that you're just being driven around with dozens of other people while creatures and monsters and giant props are surrounding you. So, you know, it gives you that great Halloween feeling. But yeah, look, we have not Scary Farm, which originated theme park haunts and is so much fun. They created the scare zones. They created clicky gloves that you see monsters wear and sliders that slide on the ground. It all came from not Scary Farm. So when you're in the States, if you come to California, you got to hit up Not Scary Farm, you got to hit up Universal. But there's also, there's just so many independent um, and immersive and, and wild experiences. Like, there's one that I, I always love uh, to go to every year called Zombie Joe's Underground Theater Presents Urban Death. Right. <laughs> this has been around for a long time. And Zombie Joe's Underground Theater is year round year round. He's putting together really crazy, bizarre attractions. Um, he has a very tiny space 
And so what they do is he's very masterful in how he uses his space. And for Urban Death, I'm not going to spoil anything. I just want to give people so they understand. With Urban Death, the maze is like made out of garbage bags. And you're given like a, a dimly lit flashlight, but you only see what you can shine the flashlight on. It's naked people. It's people doing all kinds <laughs> of crazy things. It's a lot of fun. And then you sit down, this weird sit-down show that feels almost like a David Lynch fever dream talent show. The lights go on, something insane happens, the lights go off. And that just keeps happening until the show's over. It is, um, it's f- funny, it's creepy. There'll be at least one thing that crosses a line with you where you're like, why would they do that? What's wrong with these people? <laughs> you know, but you'll leave just feeling totally buzzed. And it's just a mile away from one of my favorite home haunts of all time, Rotten Apple 907. And Rotten Apple 907, they were the beginning of my film haunters. They were the, the older couple that were talking about all the haunts that they do at their home every year. And you see all the elaborate yeah. haunts that they do. That's Rotten Apple. So look, there's just so much to choose from. It depends on what you want. Because if you're looking for something extreme, then you might want to go to Freakling Brothers in Vegas. Um, where they've been known to even hire professional wrestlers to pick you up and throw you into the next room of their maze. (laughs) Or uh, the 17th door. The 17th door in Orange County, um, which I'm going to be going to, I think, this weekend. 17th door is a prison theme. And it is full, full contact. I mean, last year I was crawling through a shock tunnel (laughs) i was being shocked in the shock tunnel and i tried to get off the shock pads and an airbag went off to push me back on them (laughs) (laughs) and you know they have a safe word and if anything becomes too much you say the safe word but what's nice about 17th door is they don't kick you out if you say the safe word you then skip to the next room because you know maybe cockroaches are too much for you but you're okay with being locked in a box. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> being locked in a box is too much for you, but you're okay with whatever else is in the next room. But if you go to 17th door, you have to pay a little extra for the VR experience that starts it off. I don't even care if you don't like VR. The VR experience is so insane. It is not just that you're wearing the VR goggles. It's, interactive it's a ride and things are happening to you while you're experiencing it that will make you scream your head off it's really fun so that's the 17th door Uh, you definitely want to check that out but there's there's thousands more traditional interactive and really hands-on extreme haunts that are just all over the country you know and even there's another one in california that i haven't checked out yet by sinister point called the mist Uh, What I've heard is it's a 30,000 square foot space that's being fogged in. So you and you're on a scavenger hunt. And while you're on your scavenger hunt, monsters and creatures are are chasing after you and popping out around you. So that sounds like a lot of fun, too. You can hear how enthusiastic you are about it. So I was going to ask sort of what was your inspiration or what drew drew you to the film? Uh, But that's probably not necessary. Um, Look, it's one of the. Come on. It, it's one of those things where, you know, you get to go somewhere where someone has created this interactive experience 
that's made to make you scream and lose your mind. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, I love watching horror movies. You know, I was just at Beyond Fest and and Scream Fest. You know, in Los Angeles, where I was watching back to back horror films, which I love. But there's nothing better than getting up and then walking into a horror film situation because you never know how you're going to react to the stuff. You always learn something new about yourself when you see what actually scares you in real life. So is this a film that you, uh, Haunters, uh, Art of the Scare, we're talking about? If anybody hasn't seen that, I thoroughly recommend it. It's available on Netflix at the moment still, isn't it? It's YouTube, um, iTunes, and, and of course yep. the website. Um was this always yeah. a film you always knew you wanted to make then? Yeah. No, I've always wanted to do something about the the hot world because, look, I just love it so much. But, you know, I was always afraid that it would just be me going, I love haunts. I really <laughs> love them. <laughs> just yeah, be like, yeah. okay. I mean, I wanted to make something that people who love haunts could enjoy and people who hate haunts or have never even been to a haunt would maybe like get inspired to want to go to a haunt. And, you know, the only way to really do that is to, to compare and contrast, you know, people that are doing things the right way and showing someone who's gone too far, like any movie you've ever seen, any movie you've seen where you focus on a subculture, what do you do? There's always one person in that subculture that's taking things a little too far that ends up contextualizing the people who are doing it the right way and make you go, Ooh, this is, this is interesting. And at least it picks a fight with you. I love a movie that picks a fight with you because then you have to choose a side <laughs> and then you have to have a debate. And when it's over, you, you can get into arguments and discussions about what you think, you know, would you do an extreme haunt or are you more about traditional? If you were into extreme haunts, then what kind of extreme haunts and how far do you think is too far? It's discussions like that that just make a, a movie-going experience way more fun. I love that you call it a movie as well, because I, I am trying to get in the documentary space myself. I've released my first film, and that's what I kind of want to achieve with my own films, is to think of them like movies. And I've, what I really loved about Haunters was it has this rewatchability factor to it. Like, I, I feel like sometimes um, we don't go back and watch documentary films like we would narrative films. But with your film, I've watched it probably three or four times already um and that's what I, I really love about that um was that something you consciously tried to do um, have that sort of um rewatchability factor I, I mean it often plays like an actual horror film thank you you know definitely no you're it's exactly what I was going for because look the first cut that I did was not quite like that uh, yeah. I was oh the, the first cut of anyone's movie is always you know <laughs> never what you <laughs> <laughs> it's always the first cut you know the first yeah. cut was i no, wanted what? to get more haunts in the movie so the first cut i had way more haunts in the movie and way more people in the movie and it felt like it should have been called you know haunt a palooza or haunt <laughs> it was just like haunt 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 i mean if you loved haunts <clears throat> it didn't matter it was like the ultimate halloween special of just like haunt after haunt after haunt but if you didn't like haunts it was like the hell is this? <laughs> it's like it was there was no story, and I kept thinking, all right, I got to get rid of the, some of the stuff, even though I love it all, and it's got to be an experience that you feel. And that, the way that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Delete, get rid of that? stuff. Oh my god, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
you know, I, I now see these, uh, these documentary series that are six hours long and I'm just like, Oh, I, I could have, I could have easily done this six hour. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing easy about editing six hours. I had so much edited. I have so many hours edited that I was like, Oh, I could just release a TV series, have hour long episodes. It'd be so much fun. But I, but I love the idea of an, of a movie, a yeah. beginning and a middle and end that puts you through a visceral, emotional experience that also makes you think. And so I wanted it not to be an info dump where, cause a lot of information documentaries are hard to rewatch because once you have the information, why else is there, why, why would you watch it again? You have the information, but like in a movie, that's in a visceral emotional experience where you laugh, where you get a little choked up, but then you also get disturbed and maybe even turn away. That's something, that's something special. And that's something to revisit each time because there are things about the characters we don't reveal up front that you, you wait until I was, while we're editing it, we kept thinking, when is someone going to ask the question, why is this guy on camera wearing dark glasses the whole time? <laughs> and I wanted to be like, when someone thinks that I want to be able to have the movie answer right, right away. Cause my favorite movies and my favorite documentaries and my favorite just films. Every time I have a question that pops in my mind, like a minute later, then it gets answered. So it's like, Ooh, it's like, I'm, I'm almost having, I'm like bonding or Spock mind melding with a movie, you know? And it makes it feel like it's really, you're really experiencing something uh, with the filmmaker. It's an, it's a wild experience when you get to do stuff like that. And tone shifting is so important. Like watch, you know, a, a Tarantino movie. He gets to go from comedy to drama to horror. <laughs> to, you know, he keeps tone shifting in such a brilliant way. I wanted to really, with my first film especially, and with anything I ever do, to be able to show we can go from making you laugh to making you emotional to freaking you out, <laughs> you know, a real symphony of emotions. And I'm just so proud of Haunters because I really feel like we achieved it. I was going to say as well, I want, the other thing that I really love about this film is because I, we mentioned Hayride. I worked on a Hayride for a year and it was one of the funnest experiences of my life. And what I think this film does really well, and I think people that have uh, been on uh, scare farms or mazes, what they will understand in this film, which you, what you captured was the sense of like bond and community and friendship you really form when you're doing this. So what was that like for you when you were like working with people? Did you sort of uh, make relationships with them? Was it a lot of fun doing that? Like just when I was filming? Yeah. Of course. I mean, look, you're, it was four years. I went down a rabbit hole for four years making this movie. <laughs> and I filmed way more. Like when you see the montages that are throughout the film of all the different haunts, those are all places I went to and things I filmed. So <laughs> I went all over the place. And it was really fun because I got to have like a backstage pass and the people who gave me all access into their lives where I really went into their lives and went behind the scenes with their family and everything else to really learn their story. It was an incredible experience. And some of them I became incredible friends with that I'm still friends with, like Char. Um, who is my favorite scare actor. <laughs> she's my yeah, she, favorite monster. She was brilliant in, in that documentary. I thought she came oh. off so well, like really likable. Like 
she actually reminded me of someone who worked at my um my the farm that i was on it was was really weird actually oh really yeah it's a look it's a look i I thought i was gonna do one interview with her uh, about scare acting and she mentioned in the first interview about the connection between the monster and the human and i was like ooh, oh i like that and i asked her some more questions and then I just was like so intrigued by her and I saw how passionate she really is. She's so passionate about scaring people. And it's something that some people might consider a phase that, oh, you'll grow out of it. And she's been doing it since the 70s. And she is just as excited about it now as she was then. So I wanted her to be in there because I could tell she's like, she could be like a real part of the, the heart that can juxtapose the horror in the film. And Donald with the dark glasses, he's he's one of my best friends in the world. Um, Donald, I actually met him in the sixth grade. I met him, we did a haunted house together, and it's the one he talks about in the movie. I'm actually in the movie for like a second. There's a photograph of Donald wearing his dad's army clothes with a mask and i'm the kid with the freddy krueger glove and the skeleton shirt <laughs> oh, wow! and we did that maze at the at la madera we were so scary they put us at the end of the maze and we scared kids so bad that they <laughs> to run away from us they broke through the cardboard walls and the whole maze had to be shut down because we terrified all the children so much <laughs> and the kids we scared that really broke the whole thing apart to get away from us. were in high school. They were high school kids. So we felt like the, we were unstoppable, but as a kid growing up, I remember his family and he came from a very dysfunctional family and they were, they were just terrible to him. And years later he told me, Oh yeah, my Family's doing a haunted house. Uh, you should come. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere near that. It's like the Manson family haunted house. I don't have nothing to do with that family. They're crazy. You know, his brothers used to beat him up and they beat me up too. I don't want to be a bum. What kind of haunt is this? And then my mom calls me and says, you know what? You have to go to this haunt and see what's happened. And when I went and I saw that this haunt brought this family together. It healed this family. I thought that was the sweetest thing I'd ever seen. But what was, and I thought I would really love to film, film the story. And then I noticed the haunt across the street. Donald's haunt has a haunt across from him that's just as amazing. And, you know, different, but totally amazing. And I asked him, I'm like, well, you must be really close with the guy across the street. I mean, the two of you both haunt. And he's like, I don't talk to that guy. He's the competition. I was <laughs> like, what? They've been competing against each other for a decade. They live on the same street, never once talked to each other. And I was like, this could be the entire movie right here. <laughs> I started I started interviewing both of them about each other. And it was so awesome. <laughs> and then the next day I show up and they're talking to each other. I'm like, what's going on? And they go, well, after we did that interview yesterday, we realized we have so much in common. We should just be friends. I was like, well, there goes that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Things change when you make a documentary, man. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> you can't just plan it out, can you? Things always change. People, look, it's like <laughs> documentaries don't get the credit they deserve for being as 
they're so difficult to make because it's not like I can make someone live their life a certain way or make someone do something. It's like I'm observing. I'm hoping certain things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you have a plan in your head. You think this is this will look really good, but it doesn't yeah. happen. Something else might happen or something even better happens. And you're like, yes, that was even better than I expected. Exactly. It's like pe- people kept asking me, well, why is there so much of McKamey Manor in your movie? Why is there so much of that guy, Russ? And I was like, look at the movie. <laughs> There's a reason. <laughs> he kept doing things that were just like blowing my mind. And they and that crossed lines and that I was completely shocked by. I and... did want to I did want to speak about it because I, what I, I think about that film, uh, your film is he almost plays like if it's a horror film, almost like the the monster or the antagonist of, of this story in some ways. Um, I think you make him relatable, but also then you, there's moments where you're conflicted about him and. Uh, what was that like? How did you like? How early on did you know that you wanted to get him in your movie? And also, how did you reach out to him? Well, the first, <laughs> the first uh, time I I saw one of his videos, I was like, "Whoa, this looks like a Rob Zombie movie being projected on the Titanic while it's going down. This is the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen." And it, he, you know, for people that are listening that don't know uh, Russ McCamey of McCamey Manor. So it's a, this guy has this haunt that uh, it's an extreme haunt that has no safe word. So there's no way of getting out. This is the only one in the world. Everyone else in the world has the sense to have a safe word. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Had had enough. You say, say the safe word, they let you out. Well, this guy doesn't. And I saw his videos and he had, you know, I don't know, 20 hours of videos online. And I was looking at them and I was wondering, are these real? Are they real or is there, it's hard to tell what you're looking at because it's so crazy. And I just made me really curious, who is making this? Who's doing this? What's his normal life like? Does he he have a day job? (laughs) What does he do? Because you you just look at that kind of thing, and it's like the movie The Strangers. It's like, well, who are the people under that mask, and what do they do before they terrorize that house? What what was their day? What did they have for lunch that day? I'm curious. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so with Russ, I sent him an email and reached out to him, told him I want to have a documentary. I'd love to include him. He calls me at, like, midnight, and he's like, it was a – puts on a creepy voice he's like this is russ mckamey i was like no 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 you don't need to do that <laughs> you don't need to do that i really want to just talk to you and it's like you're talking to me i'm like all right knock it off <laughs> <laughs> and we we talked and he was very concerned he's like i don't want anyone filming what i do you know he, he only wants to show what he wants you to see that's why his videos are edited the way they are but then we talked and then i've I finally convinced him to let me go down and film him for a weekend. And I brought a waiver. The it's a, it's the agreement. So it's basically, you know, giving me permission to film. I said, here's the deal. I'll film you for a weekend. If you like what's going on, sign it. If not, I'll get rid of the footage. You know, I thought I'd I'd give it a shot and see Mm -hmm. what he did. And I explained to him how he would probably come off in the movie. And I was telling him, like, the first time people see you in the movie, they're going to think you're nuts. 
The second time, they'll probably think you're crazier than the first time they saw you in the movie. <laughs> and then at one point in the movie, I want to show at least something relatable. Just anything about you as a person, you know? That way people can go, oh, this is a, a person. And then I just want to be able to show, again, what is it you do so that people are either, they have a full picture of him and can judge him and, and his haunt not by one piece of information or, or by someone just making an expose, but by the, seeing the truth of something, seeing the full picture of it. And he liked that idea a lot. And there's a reason why I don't narrate the movie. Because if I narrated the film, it would, it would be all, it would have been abusive to have me narrate the film. You don't, you don't need to hear my point of view. You need to make up your own mind. And what's funny is there are people who watch the movie that someone said to me, hey, that's like a love letter to McKamey Manor. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and other people were like thousands of other people took themselves off of his wait list to go to his haunt because they saw the movie. And of course, you'll get always one or two people who went, oh, now I really want to do it. But my feeling is if you show people the who somebody is and i it was really amazing to actually get to know him and find look we found out what his day job was you know the fact that he's a wedding singer i mean that was (laughs) that was great that was a great moment yeah (laughs) and they were not telling me about that and when i found out that and you would never have thought that you would just you wouldn't look at that guy that's doing it but look at how he was being a wedding DJ, too. When he's singing, he puts his arms around people. He grabs people. He's hands on and goes all the way to the max at being a wedding singer, the way he goes way too far being a, a haunter. He's just like <laughs> – and he's um, very charismatic. You know, he's very – you know, he, he, look, I have to say, look, McKinney Manor is uh, – you know – it's insane. It was a. It's totally insane that it even exists, and and the fact that he made these videos that, you know, he considers himself more of a director than a haunter, but then you look at his videos and it's like, wow, some of his videos have twenty million views and thousands of comments where people are arguing about what they're seeing. It's fascinating. So, but we did uncover, and I wasn't even tr- trying to uncover. I was just trying to get to the the heart of the truth. And we end up uncovering really interesting things about who works there, why they wanted to work there, and what it's like when he's filming you. Because when you watch his videos of his haunt, there's that bright spotlight on people. And you're like, how can that be scary at all? There's a guy with a video camera taking pictures of you the whole time. But then when you see my movie and you go, oh, that's terrifying. It's like you're in a haunt, but you can barely see because you're being blinded by a spotlight and someone taking pictures, you know, saying very creepy things to you um, who refuses to let you out. It feels like um, it was terrifying because when you're blinded by that light, it's hard to see what's around you. I I don't know. It was um, it was really scary. I mean, I I had nightmares for months after I filmed it. McCain Manor. Well, that was the hardest re- part of the documentary. Of course, dude. Right. McKinney Manor, like, I, I, I can't film what it smells like. <laughs> <laughs> I can't film 
look, it was it was tough, man. I would come home, you know, one or two in the morning. He, he was two and a half hours away from me. So I'd get on the freeway, drive two and a half hours, get there first thing in the morning to get them setting up, film what's going on. They're finished like around midnight. <laughs> then I have to drive back home. And when I get home, I have to like get hosed off by my wife because I smelled so bad because <laughs> of the haunt. And oh, look, the one thing that happened that's not in the film uh, that was really wild was um, uh, Christina Buster. She's in the movie for a moment. She's the one wearing the panda out onesie. Russ makes everyone wear a, uh, a Halloween costume, a Halloween onesie. So it really makes it feel like Rob's a real version of Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses because remember he dressed them all up in those kind of onesies. Right, right. When they were, it's just like that. And um, anyways, she had traveled. She's a, an American contract worker who spends most of her time working in in Kuwait in Iraq. And so she flew 19 hours to go to McKamey Manor for her vacation. And um, during her time in the haunt, at one point, she went into shock. And she just, she, she wasn't responding to anything. And I said to Russ, I'm like, I think she's gone into shock. He's like, really? And I just kind of waved my hand. And I realized she is not responding at all. I picked her up. I put me on my camera, like a terrible documentarian. <laughs> I put my <laughs> camera down. I picked her up and put her in the house. And put her on the couch. 30 minutes later, she wakes up. She snaps out of it. I mean, the whole time her eyes were open, by the way. Her whole, the whole time her eyes were open. But 30 minutes later, she snaps out of it. And she goes, why am I not in the haunt anymore? I said, what do you mean? I'm like, you went into shock. She went, I flew 19 hours for this. Put me, how dare you? How dare you pulled me out? That, what a ripoff. And then Russ comes in and he's completely changed his demeanor. And he's like, how you doing? And she's like, you know, fuck you. Put me back in that haunt. I can't believe you took me out. He's like, what did you just say? She's like, I want to go back in that haunt right now. And she's yelling. He's like, you really want to go back in? He's like, yeah, this time don't take it so easy on me. And I said, whoa, stop all of this. This is insane. I was was not about making my movie at that point i was like thinking she's gonna get murdered she's pissing him off he runs back to the haunt turns on all the sound effects again and then comes running after her picks her up and runs back in the haunt and then i was like oh my god when it was over she then went back to mckamey manor two more times so i stopped at that moment projecting my feelings on what people you know on like what's going on in the Cayman Manor. Like, I'm like, okay, it's not for me, but it was for her, <laughs> you know? And so when people were freaking out and panicking, I was like, all right, I have to just take my myself out of this and film what's happening. But what I'm really proud of is that we stayed to hear what people said at the end of going through and the reasons why they wanted to work there. And I'm also really proud that I, I wanted to show the people who went through it the raw footage of the video of them going through McKamey Manor. They hadn't seen it yet. And I'm filming their reactions of themselves going through the haunt really 
was mind blowing and chilling. And look, when you don't have a safe word, it's, you know, Russ kept saying things like, you know, because there's no safe word, it's like a marathon. And I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking you across the finish line. and You're like a champion. I said, no, <laughs> Actually, it, when you, if you can't make it physically through a marathon, you stop. I'm like, if I just, if you just dragged me through a marathon, I don't feel like I would have feel like I, I accomplished something. I feel like someone dragged me beyond the point of where I could, I should be going. But with a safe word, whenever you use a safe word in an extreme hunt, you actually have a sense of accomplishment because it's like, oh, that's how far I can make it. I wonder how far I can make it if I go again. I wonder, like, it's, it's, it gives you the feeling of control. And as long as you have control and you can stop it whenever you want to, that's what protects us from getting traumatized. That's what protects us from having a, a PTSD experience. That's what makes it fun, scary, and not, you know, <laughs> the kind of scary that haunts you for the rest of your life, you know? So it's a. Uh, Is that the reason I you would? I, I don't know. Did he ever offer you to go through it or would you not do it? He offered me. No, I would never do it. <laughs> never do it. I didn't join a fraternity because I didn't want to be hazed. <laughs> Why would I go through this? I mean, look at it. <laughs> I would bring up fraternities a lot too because you think about it. No one's ever died going through McKamey Manor. There was a heart attack, but no one's ever died. People die all the time in fraternities and sororities when they pledge. You know, I'm not like giving an excuse. It's just funny that there are these, you know, fraternities and sororities, which I consider to be extreme haunts in prestigious institutions. (laughs) (laughs) But Russ is, um, look, when you don't have a... When you do or you don't have a safe word, okay? So if you just have a haunt, you, you're you at the mercy of the judgment of the person in charge of that experience. That The same way that, you know, someone who created a roller coaster, you know, you're hoping that real professionals worked on that roller coaster, you know? Yeah. You want to make – when I go to an elevator, I want to make sure this was – this is a real elevator, right? People can – you know, I want to make sure this is, like, put together well. And when there's no safe word at McKamey Manor, then you're stuck with what? You're stuck with the mercy of the judgment of him and the people that are working there. And, you know, for the most part, you don't know anything about them. And with my movie, you learn more about it. And and look, I don't care who the person is. They don't know you. They don't know what you're thinking or feeling. You know, they don't know if this is too much for you. Only you know that. That's why we all have, that's why we have a safe word in extreme haunts. That's why these types of attractions have to have one. You know, so it's a. Uh, Do you think that's somebody, somebody appeal for some of the people that go through it because there is no safe word? They want to feel like they, they're, they're powerless, maybe, and have that experience to see. Do you think that's sort of the appeal of that manner? And. I think the appeal of McKinney Manor was more that he's making these movies that millions of people are watching and you get to be the star of your own horror movie, especially the way Russ edited them together and added the music and look, he, he 
<laughs> really looked amazing. He made these really scary movies um, with these people in them. But the issue is, you know, you don't know what it's going to feel like when they when they grab you. You don't know what it how you're going to react to those things. You don't know, you know, that after a few minutes that you're like, oh, no, I got to get out of here. And they're not going to let you out. You know, he would let people out. At, there was some people he let out after 10 minutes because they clearly couldn't continue. But even the people who only lasted 10 minutes, you know, it's not like it was 10 minutes and then it's over. It's something that stays with you because you didn't have any control over being able to leave or not. You know, that's not... Um, like, if you're really stressed out, afraid, then your your fists are balled up, right? And you're tense. And that's not fun. You're not able to have any catharsis. You're not able to scream and have any release. Because you're, you're not, there's no scream followed by a laugh, is what I'm saying. When you know you can get out whenever you want to, you can scream. You can laugh. You can freak out. But you know you have one foot where you're like, mm, maybe I, maybe, maybe I should jump out of here, <laughs> you know, and it actually makes it more of a, a fun and almost therapeutic experience. I, I call it scarapy, the therapeutic value of being scared, <laughs> you know, and it's true. Like I love getting scarapy because I love to go somewhere where I'm going to scream my head off, freak out, laugh, really like Shar said, be a kid again. There's very few times in society where an adult is allowed to act this way. And it's really freeing when you when you find something that can entertain you at so many different levels and give you the illusion of danger, but without the actual danger. If you have the illusion of danger and the ability to stop it at any moment, um, that's a real exciting adventure for your mind and an interesting rite of passage one of the things about the film as well is i i when i feel like i've watched a really great documentary or something i always become obsessed or even just a film in general i get obsessed and i start looking up online about it um and i looked online about um haunters and i remember a lot of the conversation and there was people back and forth um yeah, arguing about of, russ lot, so a lot of back and <laughs> was, was there ever any like because i've seen a lot of backlash against him and what he's doing was it any of that ever affected affected you did it any people yeah oh yeah man i got death threats i got people calling me late at night threatening me uh with lawsuits um that weren't even real and i didn't know someone calls yeah. you late at night and says you know you've been named in a lawsuit and we're coming after you. And it's like, Oh God, that sounds horrible. (laughs) You know, or like people calling and saying, if you keep filming at McKinney Manor, you know, and then just saying some kind of a crazy threat. What was their problem with you, you doing it? They felt you were giving what I, I, cause I've had similar backlash against my film. My one was, it's a platform. It's glorifying. Was that the same sort of situation as you? Yeah, they'd say that. And I was like, dude, he's been on the Travel Channel twice. Yeah. He's, uh, and like you said, millions it, of views on YouTube. 
millions of views. Boy, I w- you know, I, I wish I was so confident to say there'll be millions of people. <laughs> you know, <looking laughs> and the joke is, it's like um, people are just wrong. I mean, like if if all I did was show one side of McCain Manor, then there's always a chance that, you know, of like, oh, you're, you're, you're just trying to show him in a good light. I showed him in a true light. And that's the most interesting because that's when we stop, you know, chewing food for people. That's when we give you a real meal and let you decide, you know, what you think based on facts. And I stand, the nice thing about my movie is that everyone in the movie, even and Russ was not happy with some of the stuff that's in that movie, <laughs> would say, yeah, that's who I am. And everyone that's in the movie said the same thing. I did not want to exploit anybody. That was my biggest fear. I mean, when you're making a documentary, there's times where it's like, ooh, I could just put this thing in here right here, and it would be so great for the movie, but it's like it's unfair to the person because it's not in the correct context. And you're, you're, it's so easy to exploit someone with a documentary. It's so like, re, like reality TV or something, like Big Brother or those sort of shows where they just edit it out of context and you can make the person look completely different. Hey, there's even Oscar award-winning documentaries that do it. Mm-hmm. You know, There's plenty of those that do that. And uh, I've heard great interviews with some document, documentary filmmakers who I really look up to who were like, yeah, you know, I made a decision once here and there that really, um, I really shouldn't have done that with this one particular edit that changed the way you looked at somebody in the wrong way. And I really went out of my way to make sure that didn't happen. Because in context, it's fascinating. In context, what he's doing, a reasonable person can see that they've gone too far. And it's interesting to see the reasons why and when you figure out the reasons why then you can also figure out what makes a better extreme horror attraction and what makes them work it's hard to tell what makes something work when you just see what's actually working if someone tells you shows you the godfather and says go you you go make a movie that's what a movie looks like (laughs) like, oh shit (laughs) what do i do but when you see the godfather next to Ed Wood, <laughs> you know, not Tim Burton, but like an Ed Wood movie, like Plan 9 from Outer Space. But you see like something like that, you're like, wait a minute. You know, you could compare and contrast and all of a sudden things start rising to the surface. But they didn't know me. My feeling is this, though. If you disagree with what someone's doing because you, you know, think that uh, the subject matter of their movie is too dangerous, then how is it that you then come to the thought of this person's making a movie highlighting someone who's dangerous. I'm going to send him a death threat. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why did you do that? That is so... What is the leap in logic that says what this guy says highlighting someone who's doing something wrong? I'm going to tell him I'm going to kill him. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? Like, it's just like, like sir, sir. There was a time I was on the phone with somebody who was using a voice disguise and threatening me mm-hmm. at like two in the morning. And I said, sir, here's it. I'm like, you are really misbehaving right now. And I'm just going to tell you, 
you need to stop it. You need to stop it right now. And I said, and he started laughing at one point because I really was scolding him like a little kid. I'm like, I'm like, you need to start thinking about if what you're doing <laughs> is worse than what I'm doing. And I have a feeling it is, sir. I would never call you and threaten your life. This is what you're doing is ridiculous. And recently, someone came to a, uh, to a party recently, uh, this one, like, um, so there's a lot of horror mixers out here. We're like a lot of horror fans and horror filmmakers. We all get together and hang out because we all love the same stuff. We might as well get together. And one guy came up to me and said, I have to apologize to you. I was like, okay. <laughs> he says, I, um, I called you and threatened you with a lawsuit and, um, and I kept threatening you with lawsuits. And I was like, oh, oh. Well, you're not forgiven. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> That's horrible. That was so stressful. And he's like, well, I was like, there wasn't even a lawsuit. It's like, well, no, there wasn't. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? But it's like, look, I knew by involving Russ in McKamey Manor, it was going to stir things up. I knew it would be controversial, but I also knew it would make it for a really fascinating movie. I also knew that by having him in there, it would show Char and Donald in in a way that look the rest of us that are in the haunt in the horror community can already look at Char and Donald and say, "Wow, what these people are really awesome and what they they, they do it for the love of of scaring people in a really fun way." But people who are not into horror saw them before as, "Hey." What's wrong with these weirdos that want to scare us? It's wrong to scare people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but when you see Russ there, by having that kind of ho- unfiltered horror, and by seeing, oh, this is who he is having work at his haunt. And it's like, what? He went from having kids working there, which, look, there was nothing wrong with those kids. Those kids were good kids. But the fact is, if you have if you encourage a kid to go and do crazy things, what are they going to do? They're going to go too far because they're kids. They don't, they're just kids. They didn't know any better. And then when you replace them with someone with a neo-Nazi background, someone who attacked a police officer and went to prison, um, that's not who you have working at an extreme haunt, huh. you know? And yeah. by showing that, and then by having Josh Randall of blackout, Blackout is the original extreme haunt, the first one ever. It's psychosexual, naked people, waterboarding you. They go really far, but they have a safe word. And I always saw articles where people were comparing um, Blackout and McKinney Manor as though they were the same thing. I, I don't know how many, like a couple hundred extreme haunt lists where – they were both listed either one or two. It'd be either be like number one's the blackout, number two's McCamey, or number like or number one's McCamey, one number two's blackout. I was like, you cannot compare them that way. One is a safe word, one does not. When I interviewed Josh Randall in my movie, and I asked him what does he what does he look for in an actor in blackout? His answer really surprised me, but then it really inspired me because he said empathy. He's like, I don't want someone who's really crazy terrorizing somebody. I want someone who cares about somebody who's going to give someone a thrill and scare them, but doing it in a way where we know they're safe all the time. 
And I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> because Russ wasn't looking for that. Russ was looking for whoever was willing to do, to do it and go crazy far and do things that most people wouldn't be willing to do. So I'm really proud of all the things that came to the surface. And every time you watch the movie, my hope is there'll be another little nugget that you'll start connecting going, oh my God. That I, is, because I, I, I rewatched it, it. That's true, because I rewatched it again yesterday. And what I really liked, I, I took away um, that time was, I like that you, I, I didn't kind of notice it because I was so like focused on Russ the first time when you showed him. I was like, oh my God, what is this? And then the second, when I went back this time, I was kind of like, I really liked the stuff about the relationships between the, uh, the, the people who put on these haunts and these attractions and their wives, their significant others. I thought that yeah. was really nice to see that you brought that forward as well look it's 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 funny like a, you know it's an interesting thing like if you're if you're passionate about what you do and you put your everything into it there's either a significant other that's with you that's working alongside you just as hard or they're left out you know look at a football player a baseball player their wife is doing what watching the game, <laughs> you know, they're, but they're not really, or just not there at all. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And there's plenty of people that plenty of relationships where people haunt together. Um, that couple that opens the film rotten apple, um, they do it together and that they have no conflict. They are so happy doing what they do. And they have a wonderful loving family that does it together. Doesn't make for the best movie <laughs> because it's like, hey, then these people are just so happy. But I wanted to be able to show that from the very beginning also to show that there are people that do it together. But I also wanted to highlight, look how driven these people are that are spending all their time, energy, and money sacrificing sometimes even their health because they love this so much. It's an art form to them. And they're, they're really amazing at it. Shar, to me, is like the, one of the Muhammad Ali of scaring people. I mean, you look at uh, <clears throat> boxers and football players, you know, people go, hey, they've been so injured. Why, why do they keep going? Because it's what they, they love to do. It's what they're great at doing. It's what they're celebrating. It's the feeling they get from thrilling all these people, you know? And I, I feel like when you see Shar and her relationship and then her husband's very supportive, but he's not into haunted houses. <laughs> and I don't know. The problem with the documentary is you have to stop filming because her daughter wasn't available to be filmed when I was making the documentary. She was away at college. And then she comes back and she's a scare actor and she's amazing. And the two of them scare together at the 17th door now. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> I wish, I wish I had that in the movie too. And now Shar is like a, a mentor for other monsters and she, um, teaches them the right way and the wrong way of scaring. And that's really inspiring. And yeah, that's the issue with a documentary. You could spend four years and then go, ah, oh, I wish I'd filmed for five. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cause you go, some, you go forever for some of them, can't you? You just like, yes. when, where's the cutoff point? There's a reason why Exit of the Gift Shop took 10 years. 
there's <laughs> commonly hear people say, oh, a friend of mine is working on one right now. It's, he's on year eight of his documentary. So you hear that all the time. But it had to come to an end because I needed to get out, get it out into the world. And uh, and but at the same time, it it came to an end because it was like I have what I need to end, to tell the story. It's it's here now. I felt the real catharsis in where Donald was with his wife in the movie, and where Shar was, and and what was going on with McKinney Manor. At, by the end, it felt like. There's an ending here. It's here. We have it. And when I look at the whole completed movie, once we had that final cut, I was so moved by it because I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Where I'm, I'm laughing, I'm getting choked up. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm getting really freaked. There's always one part that I have to look away from. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> makes me feel, it makes me feel too uncomfortable. Uh, but then by the end, you get this weird feeling um where you feel strangely inspired and and kind of like heartwarm like 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 it's a heartwarming feeling at the end of this movie and if we can show you the most messed up insane stuff (laughs) and take you down such a weird rabbit hole of insanity but by the end you feel inspired and and then you have the the q a's that we've we had where arguments would break out people would yell at each other people (laughs) would laugh and people i was like booing and clapping and i was like wow this is not the normal reaction to a halloween documentary (laughs) this is not you know the reaction reaction that you'd get if you just showed here are some of my favorite haunts you know and i I, it stays with people i mean we get you know it's 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 amazing reactions that we've been getting from from fans everywhere and char who now has a huge following and she's been cast in a bunch of movies recently because of the movie. And whenever they go to haunted houses, they're treated like royalty now, <laughs> you know, that's Char and Donald, not Russ. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been a, a real adventure. And my favorite review of it was by someone on Letterboxd who said, it's part real life saw movie meets part real life waiting for Guffman. <laughs> you know you know it's like the horror the hearts it's it's really I, crazy i, I want to just finish up with maybe a last sort of question um just sort of maybe like general as halloween's coming up is there like a movie that you go back to every year around this time and also maybe uh, a movie recommendation of a horror film that's come out in t- 2019 that people might have missed oh boy i mean look those are tough questions for me because I watch so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Every October, man. Every October, I put on. Um, uh, look, um, I I went and saw The Exorcist at Beyond Fest, and Linda Blair was there to tell stories afterwards. I love The Exorcist, and I love Halloween, but I also love. Do you remember that movie, The Lady in White? Right. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> but there's so many other. I just get really get into my haunted house movies and I like to, I like to watch really creepy ones like the others or the orphanage, you know, there's just, there's so many, uh, the changeling with George C. Scott. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Did you, did you catch, uh, there was a haunted house movie this year called haunt. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It, every year someone makes a movie about a haunt that goes too 
that goes wrong. And what's funny to me is it's it's always a fictionalized movie about mm-hmm. some extreme hunt that's gone too far and <laughs> made by someone who's never been to an extreme hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always certain like things in it that I'm, are always like, well, that's not that's not even a trope in, in an extreme hunt. Extreme hunts are way more extreme than that. <laughs> <laughs> and what's you know what's funny is because I have the real life movie of an extreme hunt that went too far. <laughs> So, you know, I watch all these movies because obviously I love them from, you know, the Houses of October built uh, to Hell House LLC, uh, which is like the paranormal take on on a hunt gone wrong, or the documentary Hell House about the the real Christian haunts. Really fascinating. I haven't seen that. I would like to see that, yeah. It's really something. It's one of those Christian haunts where they – each room – it's a scary scenario about abortion or gay marriage. And oh, at the wow. end, choose to be to go to hell, hell or choose to go to heaven. If you go to heaven, then they baptize you. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> um, that's a great documentary. But then, of course, Haunt was great. I really had a lot of fun with it. It had some great scares. It's for, you know, the, the guys that wrote um, A Quiet Place wrote and directed it. And you got Eli Roth producing. So, yeah, it was really fun. But Ruin Me was fun. Um, that was another one. I met the people who did Ruin Me. And there's a part in this one where uh, a, pe- people get abducted by uh, people in a red van. And I was like, they looked at me and they saw me. They were like, yeah, we saw your movie. <laughs> we saw your movie. And we wanted to put, put that in there. And the movie Extremity. Did you see Extremity? I haven't. So Extremity, um, uh, Anthony de Blasi, um, he did uh, um, this movie called Extremity, which is a take on Extreme Haunt, and had a few moments in there that were very familiar to me from from what I filmed in in my movie. And he, I, they invited me to the premiere, and then during the Q and A, even pointed out. We want to thank John Schnitzer for the work that he did with Haunters and for highlighting some of these things and bringing them to light. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't expect any of that. <laughs> and they were saying that there's definitely things that were in there that really inspired that movie. And, and that movie, there's a lot of fun stuff in that film. Um, but it's funny because each and every one of these movies, there's something about the normal extreme haunt part of it that you're like, that are really funny to me because it's like, oh, I even asked him, like, hey, did you go through an extreme hunt? He's like, no, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's like you have to. It's almost like you, ha- you have to go through something like that to to be the anchor into that dark reality of what it really is. I mean, it's always I have like a, such an interesting checklist in my brain of what I never see in these movies that are in the normal extreme haunts that I'm like, that would make it way crazier. <laughs> but I really did enjoy haunt. I mean, look, they, they went, they went for the gore and, yeah. and they went for um, some really fun scares. It was very suspenseful. And uh, I had a really fun time watching that. It was great. Yeah. I actually watched that with uh, the guys from blackout, a bunch of like all of us haunt people got together and watch it together in the theater. <laughs> did, did you, did you manage to see uh, midsummer as well? 
oh my god <laughs> i went crazy for that movie it's great right that, hereditary i saw four times midsommar i i saw it i definitely want to see the director's cut yeah i haven't uh, got around to seeing that too but i mean I'm i just don't have the time i loved it dude i was screaming i was laughing it's like the wicker man meets hostile i mean it's like it's funny and really disturbing and shocking and funny again <laughs> and i don't know i really thought that was pretty pretty exciting that was really cool i, I want to see wrinkles the clown i saw the trailer for it it looks it looks really have you seen the document the, the trailer for this documentary i haven't seen that no it's a documentary about a guy a, a guy called wrinkles the clown that if you call his the number and tell him who to go scare um, you can hire him to go and, and terrorize people. <laughs> he like goes inside of their house and everything. I'm like, what? I just saw the trailer. I haven't seen the movie. I can't like say, you know, whether it's good or not, but I saw the trailer and I, I freaked me out. So I, yeah, that sounds like a concept. Looks great. <laughs> but I did see a great documentary um, by Alexander Philippe called um, Memory, the Origin of Al- Alien. And that is fantastic. It's like, he's the same guy who did the documentary about the shower scene from Psycho. Um, I've seen, yeah, I've seen this being advertised. I'm sure it's playing here at the moment. It's um, in the, in the States it's on Hulu, but who knows what, what it is on over there. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's a, um, it's an examination of the shower scene in Psycho. And he got Eli Roth, Guillermo del Toro. I mean, just, a whole who's who of incredible people and they filmed it all in black and white and it really he captures the tone and the feeling he's giving you information but in a in the mood of the movie psycho well with alien he does that again and it is again he's giving you information but you're feeling it and they even recreate some alien sets that have sparks fly down all in strobing lights while you're kind of going through the corridors while you're hearing people talk. It's really cool. But I'll tell you a movie I watch every every year now since it's come out. It's a documentary that scares me. Have you seen The Nightmare by Rodney Asher? I haven't seen that either. Uh, top of your list. The Nightmare by Rodney Asher is a documentary about people who suffer suffer from sleep paralysis. Oh, so I have, have heard of this. Yeah, yes. I've heard of this. And it, it, isn't it well, documenting you. you when you, it, it makes you feel like when you go to sleep that night, you're going to get it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't know it if can, I can deal with that, man. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is, you want to get scared. You really want to get scared. You have to crank up the volume. And if you're in a place where you can't do that, then put on headphones. Because the sound is very important. Jonathan Snipes did the music to that movie. And Christopher Flieger did the sound effects. I really care about sound and, and music. Anyone who loves horror does. And I got Jonathan Snipes and Christopher Flieger to work on my movie, um, it, which was I was so honored to be able to, to get them. I, I had a lot of great uh, musicians uh, and sound people. We also had uh, 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 Alexander Burke, who worked on Dead Man's Bones. That's how we were able to get the dead man's bones music it's ryan gosling's haunted house band from 2009 <laughs> that's oh, we have some great music in haunters and every once in a while there's sound effects that are in there 
that are made to kind of raise the hairs in the back of your neck at times <laughs> to go with the sound effects that are in the haunts. Well, those guys did that also for the nightmare. And there are scenes in the nightmare that scare me so bad because as they're telling you about their nightmare and you get this weird sound, they have this sound, this electrical sound that's supposed to be like the stimulant, the little the stimulus response that's happening inside of your brain, little things firing off in your brain. So you have this kind of electrical sound that really is at a certain frequency that just gets you to shake. They have that. And then they have these reenactments, and the reenactments are scary. They're, they do right what a lot of TV shows do wrong. They make reenactments, and they are creepy, and there's even some jump scares, and they work. And it's unusual. It's unsettling. Ugh. I mean, and Rodney Asher also did Room 237, you know, about people that are obsessed with the shine. And I reached out to him when I was making Haunters on, on Twitter, and I got lucky enough that he wasn't busy that day. <laughs> he got back to me, and he definitely mentored me and, and uh, would answer my questions while I was making Haunters. But then when I saw the nightmare at South by Southwest, and I jumped out of my seat, I got so scared. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is, it is so, so exciting to see documentaries go to such incredible cinematic places. You know, the, to really open the door to a subculture you knew nothing about and give you all the emotions that a movie does, but then also take you into the dark places of a horror film to, that can really freak you out. It stays with you even longer than a regular horror film because it happened. Real. <laughs> That's yeah. So much. Yes. Oh, and the thing I had on in the background before you called. The sinister. <laughs> right. I put that on. I put that on every October. You know, I love sinister, but you know, I have all Nightmare on Elm Street. I I love it. You know, this horror films are. It's my favorite thing. You know, they they freak me out and they make me feel good. I I really I love it. I mean, Ari Aster's uh, movies are designed to make me feel differently. <laughs> really really mess with my brain but i love that that can happen i've seen thousands of movies and that there's still films that are out there that can really affect me like that that's incredible i still have to see a creep show on shutter I have i've started watching that, that so far some of it's really interesting some of the episodes some of the ideas that are going for and it's also kind of you get some old school and the practical effects what i just love uh, some of the creatures yeah. and that it's just it's really great I gotta check that out. I mean, I love Creep Show, and there's a great Creep Show haunted house at Universal right now. It's really fun where they actually have stuff from the original movie and stuff from the new TV series intermixed. So every time I saw something I didn't know what it was, I'm like, well, "That's from the new show." <laughs> I have to see the new show. But um, no, there's there's just so much great stuff that's out, out that's out there that um, I, I still have to see. Tigers are not afraid. I haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. I keep hearing that's incredible. I've heard good things, I mean, yeah. And Marianne, I've heard a lot of good things about. I just haven't seen it yet. But uh, last year I saw Veronica on Netflix, um, the new Paco Plaza film. Yeah. 
uh, who oh who did wreck and wreck <laughs> two and all those movies oh wow that really that was very effective for me i really had a good time watching that one but yeah there's just um it just depends on what what your mood is and what you're looking for and there's also those great um i just saw satanic panic which was so funny have you heard of this i haven't heard of that no it's Chel- it's a movie by chelsea stardust she did she had her first two movies came out like back to back this year. Um, the other one was called All That We Destroy, which is incredible with Samantha Mathis. It's a um, that's a part of uh, Blumhouse's and Hulu's Into the Dark series, and that's a really good one. But Satanic Panic is with Rebecca Romaine and with um, Jerry O'Connell. It's about a pizza delivery girl that delivers pizzas to this mansion and they, they don't give her a tip. And then she go she, you know, goes inside the house demanding a tip and it's a bunch of people that are about to do a virgin sacrifice and they don't have a virgin and she walks in and she's a virgin. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> it's, really funny. it's really great. Jerry O'Connell cracked me up. Uh, was so funny, but, there was also a really good one um, called Culture Shock. Have you heard of that one? No. Culture Shock is made by, um, you can find her on Instagram uh, under the name Horror Guerrero. Uh, her name is Gigi. And for the Into the Dark series, she made a horror film about um, Mexicans crossing the border into America and turned that into a horror film. And really interesting, the kind of take that she had on that. It was um, very strange tones. It was very funny and dreamlike and scary and disturbing. Really had a weird Terry Gillum element to it. It was really, you know, on a budget. Not a Terry Gillum budget. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's just so much that's out there. It's a good time to be a horror fan and like you said as well, documentaries as well and sort of like the new things that people are doing with documentaries and sort of expanding that genre and what it's capable of. Look, it's because you can, because the thing about digital filmmaking that I know is a revolution for indie filmmakers and for documentary filmmakers gives you the freedom tell the types of stories in a way that you never were able to before for horror filmmakers it's a chance to make almost anything you want to make you know there's no excuse as to why you can't make something in now i mean look steven soderbergh made that awesome iphone horror film um unsane mm-hmm. a thriller that became a horror film on an iphone it was incredible so yeah, look, the digital revolution really has changed everything. And because of it, we have thousands and thousands of things to watch. I mean, nowadays, you know, people would be fine with getting a flu because then they, they're stuck watching all their <laughs> streaming services. They can, they can catch up on things and still not run out of things to watch. I mean, there's a lot to watch. But the other thing, too, is with the way haunts are now, too, there's a lot to experience. And I know you guys don't have the amount that we have here, but you guys have some pretty cool stuff over there. I, I know that I met some people from a UK screen park that um, 
it sounded really cool with what they what they're doing yeah, over there too. it feels it feels like it's so, sort of uh, growing here it's probably a little bit behind you but you know we've got more popping up i mean even in the town that i live in there's been uh, they're doing a zombie mall takeover which is a new thing um the, the the scare park that i worked at has now expanded into different areas as well and then about an hour from me we've got our sort of big one where they do a saw maze a walking dead maze and it's it, it seems like they're sort of trying to ramp up the halloween elements here which was i guess it was, it was sort of more of an american holiday but sort of maybe uh, getting invested in that now as well yeah in japan they've got a they have a year-round year-round haunts in japan that are really great and um and it's so interesting to see their take on a haunt versus our take on a haunt. And it's, and I went to a great haunted house in Mexico last year in Mexico City and that was uh, having its 50th anniversary. So it's been around for 50 years at a theme park. It's three stories tall, really wild, crazy, traditional haunted house maze that has all the bells and whistles and it's 50 years old. So it's um I know it's really cool. It's it's an art form that I hope I get to see in more places because the more people who do it, the more different takes on it we get to have. And it just uh it makes it more interesting. No, without a doubt. Um and we've gone slightly over, but I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's so interesting to sort of hear um, how passionate you are and uh, about filmmaking, about horror, about the subculture, which you documented. And I mean, I can't wait to see what you work on next. I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. Um, what, what's not, a, where can people find the film? Where can people find you? Well, in the UK, we're not on Netflix. We're only on, we're on Netflix in America and Canada. And we, that, which is, this is our last haunt season on Netflix. We get, we had like a, like a two year deal, but like you can buy it on Amazon in the UK, Amazon here. You can get it, um, I think, on iTunes over there also. Probably the best way to find out where it's at is if you go to hauntersmovie.com. Just go to hauntersmovie.com. And then uh, we have the whole, like, where to buy, and there's a list of all different places. Um, sometimes there's a, it's a more places than what we have listed because <laughs> it keeps <laughs> popping up their spots, and I haven't been able to catch up on everything. But there's... Um, hopefully you'll be able to find something there and then yeah you can find out see more of our little haunting adventures and fun stuff that we do on um, our on instagram at haunters the movie and then at facebook at haunters the movie i'm on twitter but i'm i'm not on it as much as i'm on <laughs> facebook <laughs> instagram you know but you can find all the other social media channels and youtube and everything by going to our website hauntersmovie.com but yeah i'm gonna keep throughout the haunt season and i'm going to be uh in mexico for day of the dead so i'll be sharing oh, stuff wow. so which is always fun day of the dead is i mean I, I follow you on instagram it always looks like you, you're doing so much fun stuff and that and it's really it's quite get jealous of all the great sort of stuff you're doing over the halloween season yeah i just have to share it all because i just like great <laughs> this is happening look at yeah. this look at this. and you know i'm so lucky because in la we have so many horror conventions like monster palooza and son of monster palooza and uh, you know comic-con and there's just so much and there's all these pop-up haunts and haunts that are advertisements for horror films i mean there was a haunt that was for strangers too that was put on by the guys from blackout wasn't there was... one for uh, the the it film as well right yeah yeah just yeah. like a, was, like a house or something. Just, it was right by me 
Oh, wow. It was right for me. It was really fun. And it was free. It was just like a big promotional thing. It took 40 minutes to go through. So Warner Brothers put it together. It was like a fun, big, awesome trailer you get to go through. Really fun and scary. I mean, Blumhouse did some of those, too, that uh, that toured around the States that were really fun. Blumhouse did a really good one with the guys from Blackout called Purge Live Fear the Night. And they it was so good, they actually took story elements from that haunt and put it into the second Purge movie. Uh, it was really interesting. Um, that's actually the whole behind the scenes. That is on the bonus features for Haunters. You actually they bought the DVD that. as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's on there. I mean, look, I... I'm a big fan of bonus features, but I hate it when they're bonus features that are just like press kit kind of stuff where it's like, that's not, that's not enough. <laughs> like I could just buy the movie and not get it, but I, the bonus features are so much fun. I get so many messages of people saying, why wasn't that in the movie? That was incredible. I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? When you put it in the movie, it interrupts the rhythm and the and the feeling of the movie, and then all of a sudden the movie feels like it's too long, or you start getting a little bit bored. And I have no intention on ever making a movie where there's even a moment where you feel like you might be getting bored. I would I, the, the one thing I believe cinema has a responsibility. The only responsibility cinema has is not to bore me. Don't bore me. Don't do that. And that's why the movie is an hour and 28 minutes. It is like I'm I'm I kick down the door and we're on a runaway train <laughs> of awesome. But the bonus features are there's a really there's some really emotional stuff in those bonus features. And even from the guy who created the, the head haunter of Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, you get to see the home haunt he created when he was a kid. He made oh, wow. a Star Wars haunted house in the 70s. And he made all the Star Wars costumes and the detail that he went into those costumes. And you get to see pictures of his grandmother um, scaring people with an axe, a real axe, <laughs> when they did a different monster hunt. And, you know, it's uh, getting to see the Ellie Haunted Hayride and the woman who created it and why she created it and seeing all the behind the scenes of that. And I know it's a real it's exciting to watch people that are really passionate about what they want to do in life and have a real burning desire to put all their creative energy into creating an experience that is going to get a real reaction out of people. And I'm addicted to that. I love watching the creative process and it's an amazing thing to actually do. And I'm very lucky that I was able to, have a successful Kickstarter that I was able to uh, to raise the money and that uh, my wife is as understanding as she is <laughs> that allowed me to go down a, a, a rabbit hole for four years because we end up with something that's really, really special. And anyone who's listening to this, if there's a movie you want to make, if there's a project you want to do, I don't care what it is. If it's a, something you want to create, you got to, Stop coming up with reasons as to why now is the wrong time to do it and start doing it because I'll tell you right now, I feel so fulfilled having made this movie. I feel so damn good. And for so many years, I always felt like ah, one of these days I'll make a movie. The only regret I have is that I didn't do it 
years ago. You know, it's a real rush of accomplishment. It's a real amazing feeling. And just to know you have something out there that you created that you respect. I mean, I, after, I thought I was going to take two years to make this movie. But after two years, I was like, this is not a movie. It's a fan film. I want to make a movie. Nothing wrong with fan films, but that's not what I wanted to make. I wanted to make a real kick-ass movie that's just a great movie and not just for other fans of the genre, but for anybody. So the fact that I kept going until I was really satisfied with it, it's amazing. I, I, I don't have to give a caveat before I show it and say, well, I didn't have the money. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Yeah, guess what? We did this movie for not a lot of money. But we had a lot of passion and a lot of love, and I was able to convince a lot of other people, musicians and editors and animators, I was able to get a lot of people inspired to work on the movie. And they got a lot of it, too, and they had so much fun working on it. And it's a real – when you can generate that kind of enthusiasm, then you can make something. And generally – People want to work with people that are really passionate about what they're making. You know, if you feel like someone's phoning something in, why would you want to spend any time doing it? But if you feel like this is someone who's going to finish this no matter what, and they're going to put everything they've got into it, why not help that person out? I'm Friends are always saying, hey, I need to help with an, does someone know an animator? Does someone know a musician? I'm always like, here they are, here they are, because I can't wait to see what they create too. It's really fun, and um, being in L.A. is fantastic, but you don't have to be. You know, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter, we're all connected, and we can all get our stuff out there for so many people to watch. So please, if there's something you want to make, do it. Do it. Find a way to do it. You're not going to be able to do the Star Wars version of it, but you can do the smaller version, and honestly – the smaller version, especially if it's something scary, the smaller version is always scarier. No, hundreds of millions of dollars doesn't make something scarier at all. But something small and contained, you can use those limitations to give a feeling that there were no limitations at all. And films like that always end up feeling more dangerous, more wild, and take you into more unexpected territory so good luck to everybody that's listening you know there's always somebody out there that's wanting to see something new so go for it take it and but when you get at bat and you swing swing big really go for it <laughs> think about your favorite movies they weren't they weren't bunting they weren't going oh, i'll just give it a shot they were going i'm gonna go do something insane that's how we got hereditary <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for the next projects, but I'm just so happy and lucky that, you know, what I've been able to accomplish with this and the, the wonderful people it brought into my life. It's really incredible. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what's next. Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, man, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it, it's been great. And hopefully one day when you, you're. Uh, working on something else uh, you'll be able to come back and speak to me again and uh, I, I really really enjoyed this conversation 
I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and happy Halloween.